0: Welcome to the Kettle Call podcast. This is our episode number 10 and our third episode of the Feedlot Research Series. As you may know by now, in the first six months, we will be summarizing Feedlot Research papers related to protein nutrition in the audio version for the Feedlot Research Series. But we also have it in a printed copy in our Kettle Call newsletter. If you want to receive our newsletter, make sure to subscribe by using the link in the description of this episode or by sending an email to cattlecallucd at gmail.com with the title subscription and we will add you to the list announcement made let's go ahead and call brooke latex to join our call hello brooke hi pedro how are you good how are you i'm doing great thank you is it a good time for a call it's always a great time for a cattle call Great. Brooke, in our previous episode, we've summarized research uh, from the early 90s that Dr. Zin conducted here in the Desert Research Center. We talked about protein nutrition, specifically in calf fed hostings steers, and that's what we are going to continuously to talk. Some of the research, we talk about the blood meal, feeding blood meal to the calf fed hostings. After that, we talk about feeding urea in high-fat diets. But today, we are going to present a little bit younger project from 2007, I believe, so, can you tell us more about this project, the title, the authors, and when it was conducted?
1: Sure. So, the title of this project was Phase Feeding Strategies to Meet Metabolizable Amino Acid Requirements of Calf-Fed Holstein Steers. So, this was conducted by Dr. Richardson and his co-authors. They performed it in 2007 at the Desert Research and Extension Center down here in Holtville, California.
0: And the objectives of this experiment was to evaluate the practicality of two- and three-phase feeding strategies to meet metabolizable requirements on growth, performance, and carcass characteristics of Have fed Holsteins. How did the authors address these questions and how many animals were used, which were the diets and how long were the animals fed?
1: So the authors for this project uh, took 108 Holstein steers. They were approximately 215 plus or minus 17 pounds and um, they fed them for 351 days. They had, so they split these 108 steers into 18 pens, six steers, Per pen, And then they had three treatments, so six pens per treatment. And these three treatments, were looking at phase feeding these steers. So just as a note, calfhead Holsteins in the Southwest are typically fed a diet that has 12 to 13% crude protein. So um, when we're looking at these, keep that in mind. So the first treatment was a control treatment. It was a single-phase urea-based diet.
0: So they, The first treatment they fed, the only one died over 300 days, right? 351 days.
1: Exactly. And so they used the urea to meet the average metabolizable amino acid requirements for that full 351 feeding period, day feeding period. And so that treatment had a crude protein level 11, of 11.5%. The second treatment was a two phase diet. So they had one diet that was formulated to meet the metabolizable amino acid requirement for the first 112 days uh, on feed. And so this was a 14% crude protein diet. And then the second phase, They fed the control urea-based diet for the remainder up until 351 days.
0: I got it. So the second treatment, they they fed a greater protein for 112 days, and then they came back to the control diet and fed that during the uh, day 112 to day 351, correct? Exactly.
1: So they went from a 14% crude protein diet down to the 11.5% crude protein diet. Perfect. And then the third treatment was a three phase treatment. So for the first 56 days, the diet was formulated to meet their metabolizable amino acids for that specific phase, which was 15% crude protein. So that's going to be the highest crude protein diet we'll see. And then the second phase met the metabolizable amino acid requirement for days 56 to 112 days. And that was a 13% crude protein diet. And then the final feeding period from day 112 to 351 was just the control urea-based diet that was 11.5% crude protein.
0: Perfect. So just to be clear, they fed one diet on this third treatment, one diet from day one to day 56, another diet to day 56, to day 112. And then they come back to the control diet from day 112 to day 351, right? Exactly, yes. So basically the phase that we want to evaluate here are those initial growing phase on the cat-fed hosting that we... We mentioned a little bit in our previous episode that those hosting steers, they require greater protein uh, during that initial phase, that growing phase, right? So that's where we are targeting uh, to meet the protein requirements, correct?
1: Exactly, yeah. So... Just making sure that they're getting exactly what they need early on. That way, they're not limited in any
0: way. Perfect, perfect. So, move on uh, on the results, what are the things that you want to highlight from the, what the authors discovered in this experiment?
1: So, one of the main things that I thought was interesting was that there was no performance difference or carcass characteristic differences between the two-phase and three-phase diets. They had similar performance, so there wasn't much of a difference there. But when we compare the single-phase diet to the multi-phase, so whether it's two or three, we saw some differences, especially in the first 112 days. So we saw an increase of average daily gain by 18%. We saw an increase in dry matter intake by 4% and an increase in the observed versus expected dietary net energy ratio. And again, this was all during the first 112 days. And I think that's really important because that's what we're concerned about, that very early feeding period.
0: Yeah. So we can we can observe that the animals were using the, the energy from the diet in a greater way during this initial phase. And that's what we were expecting, right? Want to do that? That was the design by the experiment. But the question now is were the animals able to hold that greater gain, greater performance on the first 112 days during the entire feeding period? So,
1: when we look at the second and third phases, so day 112 to 351, we didn't see a difference between the single phase and multi phase diets. But if you look at the overall performance, day one to day 351, we saw that those results from the first 112 days carried over and continued through the entire feeding period to when we harvested those animals.
0: Interesting. So after we placed them in the same diet, they all had the similar performance, right? So from day 112 to day 351, all of the animals had the same gain. But because they had that 18% greater gain, On the initial 112 days, they were able to sustain a greater overall gain, which when we look at the 351 days, the animals had a 6% greater average daily gain overall when we compare the multiple phase feedings compared to the single phase feeding, right? And those animals also finished heavier, right? The carcass were heavier at the end.
1: Yeah, so those carcasses in uh, multi-phase feeding increased hot carcass weight by 5%, so they definitely had an increase there as well.
0: It's very interesting. I think that that's the most important thing is sometimes we formulate the diet and the diet seems to be matching the protein requirements, but the other thing that we were able to evaluate is that the initial phase there there were some specific amino acids that were not that they were not meeting the requirements, right?
1: Right, exactly. And from this we can tell that that really affected their performance.
0: So yeah, more specifically, methionine, lysine, and also histidine. When we look, we were not meeting the requirement of of those animals. And that's really important because we are going to talk about that in the next feedlot research calls. We are going to be talking about how supplementing, protected amino acid has an effect on the performance of those animals. But that's very interesting, Brooke. The biggest take-home message from this experiment is that meeting the requirements in individual phase, even though sometimes when we look at the whole feedlot, it's easier to feed a single diet, but we know that if we change, if we change the diet for at least two different phases, we are going to see an enhancing in the overall performance of those animals, right? Right,
1: exactly.
0: So yeah, that's that's really good, Brooke. And I think that's the biggest take-home message for me from this call. Do you have any any final message, any final thoughts?
1: No, I, th- I really enjoyed this paper just because it showed how important it was to meet those those requirements earlier on and not just treat the whole feeding period as an average, so.
0: That's very important, especially when we talk about an animal that we are staying so long on feeding the feedlot, they are starting so young. And I think that research is very, very important and led to a lot of other research that we still try to understand better these protein requirements during this initial growing phase up to 280 kilos that those animals have. So I think that's very important and that's a very nice research. And if you want to learn more about it, you can send us an email, we can send you the paper, you can look at the summary in our uh, newsletter. And that's all I have for today. Do you have any final thoughts, Brooke? No, nothing for me. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to us. And Brooke, is it a good time for a call? It's always a great time for a cattle call. call. Thank you.